friend with Kong Fight Player. Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima is like a completely... I keep seeing things about Elden Ring and I want to get it kind of so bad, but I never finished Dark Souls games. So I know I'm going to like get it mm-hmm. and enjoy it, but I'm never going to finish it. Come and get to a boss, I'm going to be like, you I can't gotta, beat this. You gotta finish those kind of <laughs> games, because like, I can't... If I don't finish game, I feel like I just took all those ass beatings like a... Like a chump. Like, no, no, I gotta make them worth it. I've never even played them. Demon Souls. But that was because I played it with a buddy. Like, I, I feel like if I had someone to play it with, I'd play through it and, like, beat it. I've I've only started and finished two. Thankfully, that was just the Dark Souls Remastered, the first one, and Dark Souls 3. I remember when Bloodborne came out, where you were taking turns playing it. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, I do remember that Next at the game house. On my chopping blocks, I was like the only one who wouldn't I just play. Can't there right now. I can't. I have gray hairs. I'm 22. Look, we're just fun. The guns were cool. I just think the aesthetic of it all oh, yeah. is the best out of all the different Souls games I've seen so far. Even the Elden Ring doesn't top it, in my opinion. I like just the openness of Elden Ring. It seems really cool. I just want to ride the goat. <laughs> That shit looks fun. I see so much like random memes of it on TikTok, and I'm like, that's really cool. It's like, find this random guy that's like hidden in, that's a, like, there's this tree. I saw one today. It was like, you find this guy, like you're wandering around this area, and you keep hearing someone talk to you, but you can't find him. It turns out he's just a tree. You have to melee it, and he just pops into a person, <laughs> and then he like disappears. Then you have to go fight a boss, and you give the boss drop to the guy, and then that guy will just repair your shit at bonfires permanently, then for free. <laughs> but it's like you just have to like hit this random tree. Seth the other day had one where you had to fucking melee an invisible wall fifty times to get it to break. It was like based off like your stagger chance or something. You basically had to stagger the wall to get it to open. So you could be sitting there forever just fucking hitting it. See that gives me anxiety now if I'd ever play that game because now I'd, I'm gonna think every fucking wall is gonna be an invisible wall. But you have to like hundred <laughs> times. <laughs> it's like maybe I didn't hit it enough times. Yeah. Yeah, in oh, Jedi Fallen Order there is a it's like a trophy or achievement. Uh, there's this one scene where he, like, he's basically he's having like this dream or a flash or whatever, and this door pops up behind you, and you go over and you like press the button to try to open it, but it won't open, and it's just like you have to do it 66 times, <laughs> and if you do it 66 times, then Emperor Palpatine's voice comes up over top and just says "Execute Order 66," and that's literally all you get for it. It's like. <laughs> Why? There was something like that in Halo cool 2, I think. It was like a red versus blue Easter egg, where like if you go in up to like one of the doors that was like locked like that, behind it you could hear like two of the characters from red versus blue like talking back yeah. to each other. That's awesome. <laughs> I never watched the, that series. It it's funny. been so long. It yeah. got kind of like weird like towards the middle because like they're trying to like add the story to it when it was just meant to be like comedy thing originally bringing on new characters a new story we gotta make a season boys yeah boys. basically i mean it was still like i i still liked it, it was funny but i kind of stopped watching after a while yeah i keep that shit simple it was purest form just to entertain it like it turned out that like they were like Test like they were like test subjects and like some giant <coughs> were like like meant to be like the red versus blue test subjects like fighting each other basically, and they would like give them like different power ups and shit. It was weird. Yeah, it'd been a really long time since I've seen those. I like the 
like uh, what was it called? Oh, like immersion, I think, or something was something Rooster Teeth did, where like they would test like video game like things in like real life. <laughs> like the like they did like a whole thing where like could you like survive a zombie apocalypse? Where like they had like a bunch of different like kind of like realistic like Nerf gun setup, basically, and like, all these people like acting like zombies and shit like that. People trying to take them out. It was funny. There's a lot of different shit like that. Well, one of them was like the video game food, like testing it. Like you come into a dungeon, and there's just like this perfectly like roasted like chicken just sitting there with, with, waiting for you. Like so, they had them like eat like all this old ass food and shit like that. And, like of course they got sick. Like obviously, yeah. it was funny. Is your phone off, baby dick? No. <sighs> I got that shit on high alert. Either. Right make sure mic. it's on vibrate. I just put that do not disturb on. Fuck anybody who wants to contact me right now. Max volume. <laughs> <coughs> Throw it out that window. Can't believe you don't have the lava lamp going. Where'd you get that bad boy? <laughs> it's hers. Time traveled all the way from the 70s to here. It's groovy. Ruby. Yeah. It's not even on. <laughs> it's the implication of it, really. Just the fact that it's here. It's where the lava lamp implies. Oh, I'm fine. I don't really, hit, I don't really like cards. No? Just flat? I don't know. I just, yeah. I, it's probably just me, but I just don't. No, it's just you. It is. <laughs> I just do it for, like, traveling and convenience sake. Like. I'm, like, I'm so weird about it, like... Um, there's two reasons mainly, and they're completely opposite ends of the spectrum. So it's totally me. But it's like one, when I'd have those things, I'd literally just hit them all day. Mm-hmm. I'd just hit them all fucking day because like I don't. It's not the same. It, like it doesn't get you to like that same level. Yeah, I, and I don't even want to say it like that because as soon as you start saying that, the motherfuckers who smoke carts are like, oh, it's fucking uh, percentages and uh, terps and whatever, bro. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying like for me, it don't like, it just, the high is different. So I just, yeah, I just sit there and I'd smack that fucker all day. And then like, also like sometimes as I'm like sitting there smacking it, just like sometimes they just skits me out. Like, it's like, I don't know, it's almost like I drank too much coffee. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just high, but, like, it, it I don't know, it's just different. It's fucking different. Like, whoever, like, whatever they're, where, the ones that I hit, where whatever lab was making them or whatever, whatever's in them, just didn't agree with me or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm going to put it. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a flower guy. I like flower. Same. It's funny. We're old souls. <laughs> Even at work, they always they say like, "Yeah, I just think like flowers going out. Like all these new kids want like, want like concentrates and oils and stuff." And I was like, "Fuck no." <laughs> I still read the newspaper. <laughs> Do you? No. Don't want to read a newspaper. No, not really. <laughs> Post office, right? I mean, probably. You can give them the grocery store. Just never cared to check. Yeah, why would you? Redbox, maybe. It's online. You gotta like pay for them. Or yeah. What the fuck? Like it's not even. His website yeah, you just phone. go to their fucking website on your phone. And it's the same articles. <laughs> I'd rather look at like YouTube or something. <laughs> I want to read it to me. 
see what's happening in the city. Nowhere near you. I was looking at a news story for the podcast, and it didn't. They didn't have a story. Anymore. It was just just a video of like a news segment. I'm like, well, I think I sa- did. I save one. <laughs> did I? I would just. Do you have one? I might. I don't know if I actually saved it or not. Anybody Ooh. watch any good shows lately? Oh, okay. Yeah, I totally didn't check if it was real though. I didn't. I didn't know the article that. Or it's not even an article. It's just like a Facebook post. But I don't know if it's real or not. So give me a second. I uh I started watching like the Fate Stay series. Is that the anime one? Mm-hmm. Okay, they're pretty good. Here they are. Where do you even start? There's like how many of them? It's true. Well, Where did you start? Oh, like there's Fate Stay and Fate. Do I know this? There's the Fate Zero and then there's Fate Zero Unlimited Blade Works, which is like together they're like two like the same story arc, and then the other ones are like set in like different universes or it's like different like timelines or some shit basically. So like those ones kind of don't really like go together too much. Doesn't deal like historical figures. Yeah, like, like they basically versions. like basically like seven wizards who are like summon uh like they each summon like a mythical spirit or a heroic spirit i think they call them and they're each like a person from history and you need like a catalyst to summon them like you need something from like that person to summon them and then they just fight it out for the holy grail for the holy grail <laughs> yeah basically they say it would grant them one wish and whoever wins gets to they get a wish <laughs> <laughs> They get to meet Shenron. That'd be cool. That's really what it is, isn't it? Pretty much. They just collect all the Dragon Historical Balls. Historical Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah. Except instead of, like, bringing them all together, you just gotta kill all the other Dragon Balls. With less Dragon Ball standing. I started watching Black Sails. What's that? Is that, like, a pirate show? Yeah. It's, uh... Depicts... Was like back in the 1700s, the last few, kind of like a Red Dead vibe, like the last era of cowboys. It's like the last era of the pirates and like their last stand against the new civilization of the seas. It's kind of cool. It deals like historical figures like Captain Flynn or Jack Rackham and Blackbeard and all of them. Like, it's awesome. It's a really good show. Hmm. What's that on? HBO, Hulu. Just been watching it with my friends. He has all the uh, Blu-ray disc. <laughs> nice. That something doesn't happen too often. People don't really watch things on media, like physical media anymore. When was the last time like I'm going to bust out this DVD? I was watching the Harry Potter series with her. <laughs> she says we haven't watched them all, which I think is really hard to believe with me. There's that fucking TikTok trend going around where people just pick up little things and they go, that's, that's like one. for the Cadaver from like, like Voldemort, like, oh, yeah. That's one series I've never touched. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. It just never interests me. Also, the books, when I was a kid in school, they looked very intimidating. So I never, like, got there as a reading assignment. I'm like, nah, I'm gonna. That's, that's what I would recommend, too. Is like, honestly, if you're gonna watch them, or if you're gonna get into them at all, you should read the books. Because the books just make it more fanciful. I started with the fourth book. Like really, I like I saw them like one, two, and three in theaters, and I was like, because I'll four was books. like four was the first big one, I, big four, big I, one. I, I People like four. start dying and shit. Four's so cool. Like, they, no, three was like three was when shit started getting like 
different because they brought in like dementors like right away it's just like yo they suck out your soul and like the whole pr- like wizard prison yeah there's the whole like Azkaban the history behind Azkaban is so fucking weird but uh the history behind the Shrieking Shack the Marauders Peter Pettigrew Sirius like comes a rope and tries to eat him yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I guess the second one they did fight that, like, Harry fought that giant fucking... Yeah, but it was still, like, fanciful. Like, it was still just, like, he had to do it with his eyes closed. Yeah, he was, like, just running through pipes most of the time and hiding. Yeah. And then just finally, like, the one strike. It's, like, it like, literally, like, a fucking giant, like, a titan boa fucking going or as a basilisk, but a titan boa. It's just it's against a kid who can't even look it in the fucking eyes at first. It's, like... Hey, and a fiery bird. Yeah, but he doesn't even like. But he gives him the sword. He needs the without the sword. He's what I want to know is how can Fox look at the bird or look at the basilisk in the eye? No. Are you telling me he went up there and he stat and he like Wait, fucking? Fox had eyes closed the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Went right for the head. Yeah, phoenixes are blind. They have blind sight. But, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I'd read the books. They're not intimidating, bro. They look it, but like when you start, when you read them, it's like, especially when you start from the beginning, not the fourth book, like Mike. <laughs> you start from the beginning. The movies. Yeah. Okay, I knew what was happening. Like, I knew what was going That's on. crazy because if you read the third book, it's so much better than the movie. I bet it is. And everyone says, and a lot, okay, not everyone, but a lot of people say that the third movie is like the best movie that they like. Like, yo, that's a, that's just my favorite one. It's when shit starts getting real, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, the book's even better. Like, there's so much more that's in it and stuff. But anyway, back to what I was saying. When you read them, they're not like... It's fucking Harry Potter, bro. Like, it's for kids, you know? It's not... And I'm not saying it's, like, dumbed down or anything, but it's like, they're not hard yeah, books. Yeah, it's easy read. Like, it's... Yeah. Not, there, it is a lot because she's just like building the universe for you and that's what's kind of cool about it is like it's just there's a lot of information in there about like the world and the magic and stuff like that it's really cool I love them I read them when I was in elementary school my fucking like I was just part of that generation of kids that like when Harry Potter came out like it was our generation that fucking read them and fucking loved them but they changed certain things in the fucking movies dude I hate the Snape one, where he like at the end when he showed. No, when you wouldn't know. Find Snape like no, (laughs) no. When Snape like in the movie when when he goes through the memories and Snape like showed up to the fucking house, Mm. he's like sitting there like crying at the floor like that never even happened in the book. It's not even real. It's just like I don't know. It's just very fucking weird. Did you ever read the Cursed Child? No, I didn't. It gets weird because they go back to like hog that vi- like they go back to the village like where like Harry lived. Hogsmeade. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to remember the name. I thought I thought that was the village. Uh, oh no 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 no! Sorry, Godric. Uh, Godric's Hollow. Yeah. Yeah. They like that. They go there a lot in the book. Yeah. And it's I don't know. Weird. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I do know actually a relative and. In- Recent information about Harry Potter. Isn't that one guy, Cedric Diggory? One guy that died. Cedric. That's my boy. <laughs> my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> That's so funny. We were just. Uh, he died. And, uh, one Spoiler movie. alert. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was like a 10 year old movie. Yeah, you're fine. 
think it's more than that, but yeah. <laughs> Dude's new Batman. Yeah. Did, yeah. Uh, you guys see it? Mm-mm. Yeah. I, I went to go see it two days ago. I chose like the last fucking day it was airing after the theaters. Was it Nobody good? was there. I just was in the back. I had everything propped up like I was laying back like it was a couch. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, Watch kicking I, that. Yeah. I, I fell asleep like maybe twice through it. Maybe so twice. <laughs> so what's that tell you? So it wasn't that great. Like a seven out of ten. You fell asleep twice. You gave it a seven <laughs> out of ten. Those are really good action scenes. No. Oh. Did you wake up to him going, "I'm Batman"? You didn't like it. <laughs> what seven out of ten ain't bad. But you fell asleep okay, twice. Six point eight. Six. What? That's as low as I go. <laughs> well. It's, how did you fall asleep? I don't. I don't. His his Batman was all right. It was nothing crazy about it. Well, I fell asleep because I ate too much. And then <laughs> <laughs> it was really warm in there. There was, was a point where like I had some warm milk before I left. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in sweatpants and I was just I really was, comfy, man. Yeah, I was really comfy. I had like no one in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of Robert Pattinson's voice was just very soothing to me. Well, he comes in to like start cleaning because no one. They didn't think no one was there. You just snoring. <laughs> I was going for a minute. Like 20 minutes in, I did leave just to go get another drink. <laughs> you could have asked him to pause it, maybe. You're the only one there. <laughs> I should have. Just turn around, excuse me. Could you pause this? <laughs> it was basically yeah. just me and the other projector guy all night just watching it. I don't know if they stay up there and watch it with you. I think they have. I, well, you just go to the Roxy? Yeah. Oh, it's just Billy. Oh. Billy just goes up and presses <laughs> play and then he leaves. <laughs> Does he get paid by the hour? It's, he owns it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man, that was a good... Eh, Not for eight. fucking long. 6.8. Yeah. place is going to close down eventually. Yeah. Really? Or they're cutting it. They just cut back hours. Yeah. I think is it only cut. the weekends now, or do they just cut certain days? I don't remember. I can't remember what days. I think they cut Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. You I think they were only playing matinees those days anyway. Mm-hmm. Thursdays, maybe not, but I'm pretty sure Tuesdays they only played matinees. But yeah, place gonna be no more soon. So, Which is crazy because like we always go to movies. Yeah, I always go to the Rock Street. Like, Not like always, well, always, but, like, but like see a movie, I go to the Rock. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. our group of friends have gone to like so many movies together. The only thing I took away from it was that maybe like DC is trying to do their own like cinematic universe thing. I don't think it will pan out that well. I mean. Kind of lame ass versions of these characters, kind well, of just bland. They had that Justice League movie. They had the op. They could have like if they're gonna branch out. They Justice probably- League was alright. I kind of I, I like that. I like the Snyder cut, just because it elaborated more. I really like. There's the parts where it was like really slow, yeah. but I will take that. Like the Alfred and the Catwoman, and this was pretty pretty good. Andy Serkis, mm-hmm. Golem, like yeah, that was cool. That's about it. Hobbits is in their pockets. Is. <laughs> What's in my pocket? <laughs> Little Hobbit bastard. I stayed all the way till the end of the credits. And? Nothing. Damn. <laughs> wow, they no. They did it wrong. They blue balled you like that. Yeah. Did you stand up and scream because you were the only one in there? 
I was no! because the other two movies were like an hour fifty two minutes, an hour and a half. That movie was two hours and fifty two minutes. Yeah. So I was like the last me, like the other person, just wait for like I want to go home. I was waiting for the movie to get done. I'm waiting for you to leave <laughs> so I can clean and go home. <laughs> no, it was already clean. You were just like waiting to lock the door, <laughs> turn out the lights behind me. <laughs> Oh, finally he's out. <laughs> All right, on, let's go. <laughs> no, it was a good watch. I'm going to do that more often when I go to the movies. Just wait three weeks and go on the last day on the Friday. <laughs> Be the only person in. It is nice when there's, like, no one in a theater. Yeah. Except for, like, when it's, like, a big movie or something like that and you want to see it with, like, a bunch of people. Because sometimes <laughs> the time we went to State College and there was, like, no one in the fucking place. <laughs> place. <laughs> like, we didn't even know if any anybody was working in the whole place. Yeah. Like, it looked like the place was closed. Yeah, like, it looked, like, abandoned. I saw, I recently saw pictures on Facebook of the Lie Coming Wall, and it looks abandoned. It looks like one of those, like, there's all these photos, and it looked like one of the, like, early stages of, like, those old abandoned malls that you see and stuff. Like, yeah. it's wild. There are still a couple of stores in there that are running, but, like, basically the whole place. Like, all the foot lockers, the restaurants, hey, like. Who's, like, who's going to go? Yeah, I know. No one goes to mall. It's it's just crazy. Like, well, on paper, I still see. I see the importance of a mall. Like, you can go one to one place and have all these different stores to go to. Yeah, it's but no one does it. My, my guy. Yeah, but I don't know. Florida is just a shit ton of malls and plazas so active. So what's the difference? Yeah, but like places up here, okay, like yeah, rural yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fucking tours there. Me speaking. All the people leave from here to go there. Yeah. We don't have that many people, man. Especially to fill up malls like all the time. You know, they're just there's like just mountains of U-Hauls there. Like people would get U-Hauls from wherever they live, take them, and never take them back. So they would just have a whole just fields of like pre-owned U-Hauls. I'm sure it's somebody's never job to like drive back. some back. Maybe they can make a job like, or two out of that. Hey, we're in Utah. We need some U-Hauls. Go call Florida. Get a fucking convoy going. <laughs> Get a fucking convoy. Well, right near a freaking field of that shit. I mean, we used to haul. We, like when we used to haul cars, we didn't take a U-Haul or anything. But people were, like, U-Haul. Uh, for a little bit there before I worked at Loot Crate. Hmm. With his stepdad. The, oh, my ex stepdad. Not really Sorry. ever stepdad. I don't know. It's complicated. They're just friends now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but what's up? It's another episode of Room to Talk. I'm Bud Walker. I'm Mike McCloskey. I'm Logan. What's up? What are we talking about this week, Mike? <clears throat> yes, sir. Well, we know we got our news stories, but uh, then we're going to be talking about the, trans- the Transarctic exploration, I think it is. Like the Shackleton exploration, mm-hmm. like we talked about that new story the other week. Yeah, because recently they uh, found the boat, mm-hmm. which is also like the most preserved fucking boat that they've ever almost found. <laughs> I want to know like how much they found of it because like sounds like it gets decently fucked up. <laughs> well, Wasn't there a good. picture? I mean. There, like there was, but like, it was only like like the front of the boat. Oh, you could, like you could see some more extended back, but the picture was like kind of like a close up picture. So. I can't remember. There is a lot. There's ba- like, there's a shit. Basically, what we're getting at is like there's a shit ton of the boat that's still preserved, yeah. like not destroyed by the fucking currents or anything. And obviously, it was like left up in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably why. 
Yeah, but they survived. What was it? Twenty two people. Yeah, something like that. Like twenty people and a cat. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm not sure the cat survived anymore. Aww. <laughs> you want to get into some of our news stories, though? Let's get into the news stories. So, uh, a Texas man won 75k after tracking down and suing telemarketers over illegal robocalls. Okay. I have a few questions. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice, though? Just, like, from getting all these spam calls, you start making some money off of is it? Is that what a robocall is? Just spam? Yeah, like, all these oh, people okay. talk, like, hey, you want to buy some, like, auto insurance or car warranty? Some shit like that, you know? I just never answer them. I just never pick them up. We're calling... Today about your car's extended warranty. No, I'm calling to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. You're trying to give me extended warranty in my 92 Ford fucking Ranger? <laughs> I used to be paranoid about that shit. Not picking up the phone. And now, like, ever since I started smoking, I'm so carefree. I'm, I'm interested. Like, I want to know what's on the other end of the phone. Like, hey, what's going on? What do you got for me today? Yeah, maybe I'll get a nice conversation out of it. <laughs> I got nothing better to do that day. Sometimes I, I get calls. I got calls from a guy from Jamaica one time <laughs> asking me about my. Kept <laughs> trying to talk to me about my energy. I'm like, no, I really want to know what's going on with you. <laughs> <laughs> he just hung up. Out. It was like a two minute call. Yeah. Would not humor me. I have been watching these YouTube videos where this guy like, like he gets like scams, like people that like scam people like in India, like that like scam people here in America, like old people and well, shit like I that. Haven't gone to yet. But uh. <laughs> he uh he like so scammed them he'll pretend to be like an old lady or something like that and use like a virtual <laughs> computer on his computer and have them like remote into that and showed them like fake bank accounts and stuff like that and he just like trolls them and trolls them he was t- like he was telling them yeah my husband like because he pretends to be an old lady and he was telling them like my husband has all these microwaves in the living room <laughs> he just collects all these microwaves maybe we can use some of this money to buy more of these microwaves and then he'd pretend to walk out to the living room and then he would put this like static effect on the microphone and the guy would be like man I can't hear you that's so loud sorry I had to throw my charger just into the middle of the living room to charge it <laughs> <laughs> he just like does all this crazy shit. Like one time, the guy was trying to get him to buy Bitcoin to send it to him, <laughs> and so uh, well, that's always good. He pretended to go to this drop like car wash that had a Bitcoin ATM, but then he like goes through this whole like charade. Like he's just sitting at home at his computer, but like he like puts sound effects on the call and stuff to make it sound like he's outside. Like he goes through all this extra effort, and then uh, he'll be. <laughs> He, like, bought, like, went through, like, all this process, and it basically ended up him buying, like, 300-some, like, car washes when the guy wanted to buy Bitcoin there. And he was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And then he's pretending to, like, chase down people on the street, decide to sell them car washes to get some money back. Oh, well, he's, like, talking to this scammer. He doesn't think it's going on. <laughs> Another one, this guy, she was, t- like, he was pretending to be an old lady, and she was, he was like... I'm trying to become a vampire. I'm trying to resurrect my husband. And the guy's just going along with this because they're just trying to get the money out. They don't like really care what you're saying. He's just going along. He was like, yeah, I know vampires. I can connect you to them. Like, I'm not on the inside yet. But once I get inside, I can get you inside. <laughs> it's fucking wild. I'll just say anything. <clears throat> Nigerian prince. Like, <laughs> alone from you. You you just have to send him a thousand dollars and they can wire you the fifty million. Makes sense. <laughs> it's just a transaction fee you have to pay. So uh 
guess getting back to this Texas man. Dan Graham, a financial accountant who splits his time between Dallas and Austin, told uh, told the news that he won $75,000 in court decisions since launching a protracted effort to find and sue the companies behind intrusive telemarketing tools. He says, I probably get in any given day 10 calls on average. I counted one day, and that day I got 24 calls. And hoping to cut down the noise, he listed his number on the National Do Not Call Registry. But then when uh, the calls persisted, he contacted the Better Business Bureau and the Federal Trade Commission and filed complaints. According to the FCC, companies that illegally call numbers on the National Do Not Call Registry or place an illegal robocall can currently be fined up to $43,792 per call. And with this in mind, he began to identify and file lawsuits against telemarketing firms who contacted him in violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, <coughs> which states marketeers must attain prior express written consent before robocalling. Uh, according to Graham, he has filed 50 lawsuits in small business courts seeking redress over illegal robo-dialing, and many of his early attempts failed, but eventually he began to win decisions that resulted in thousands of dollars in penalties for offending companies. He said, if people knew how to push back and started doing so, we can make this kind of endless spam unaffordable for people who want to do it. The hope is that there's enough of us who stand up, start pushing back, that it becomes more expensive for companies to negligently hire these telemarketers and participate in these telemarketing practices. That's crazy. That's awesome. So if you want, you can start finding out who these people work for when you're talking to them and start getting them to... Yeah, we should start a whole, like, oh wait, it sounds like the FBI and CIA. <coughs> what? Cybersecurity and all that goodness. I mean, for the government, not for like you. Oh yeah. <laughs> sure, it would be nice to have some help, though. <laughs> Wouldn't it? I like this next news story. A Republican retracts false claims that schools are placing litter boxes for furry students. <sighs> <laughs> And you'd be included. Could you imagine you going to the bathroom and there's a litter box there? <laughs> someone no, worse. Worse. Could you imagine that someone's squatting in it? <laughs> You're just taking a dump? Yeah, like... Meow. <laughs> dude. <laughs> I think I, oh I, in fourth God. grade, I still, I still pissed like, piss in the urinal with like my pants all the way down. You were like, like a dominant. You like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a dominant <laughs> <laughs> but I stopped fourth grade, I, bro. Yeah, but the second it was fifth grade, man, I stopped. I cut that shit right off. Really? It's like I'm going I to school next what, year. What made you stop? stop? Like, what? Did something like someone finally tell you? Did someone like your Multiple mom make people. fun of you or something? Multiple hey, man, people. your cheeks are out. <laughs> did you do the thing where you pulled your shirt up above your nipples too? <laughs> <laughs> Tucked it under your chin. <laughs> Hold it with both hands. I gotta be hands free, man. <laughs> I remember in my elementary school for like a, like a couple weeks at one point there was like a problem with a bunch of people pooping in urinals. Yeah, that happened at our elementary. It wasn't like a bunch of people; it was one kid. But well, they had like a rash of urinal poopings. That was one. Of the- <laughs> we have some serial poopers here. I'm not sure what kind of poop it was. That was one of the senior pranks. One of the years I was at high school. What poop in the urinal? Poop, yeah, pooped in the urinal. I think he left a dookie on the fucking pre- uh, principal's chair or some shit in his <laughs> office. <laughs> Were you there when they stole the toilet? <sighs> Are you like <laughs> someone backed like their truck basically up to like the one doors by the cafeteria 
And they literally, throughout, like, throughout the day, they unbolted the fucking toilet from the bathroom there. And at the end of the day, they drove, backed their truck up, fucking threw the toilet in and left. Okay. So, oh, man, I don't even know if I should, I don't even know if I want to tell this story. Because I, I know these people. But fuck it. No, what, the one that name. the one that happened when I was there was that someone took a toilet, took shit in it, put it in someone's car, and then like other people like pissed in shit all over this person's car. Like, what do you do? Took a shit, in, <laughs> took a shit in his backpack and stuff. Like, <laughs> hey, can I see a backpack one second? No, he was. A, oh my god! <laughs> just imagine everybody. Everybody just got like, yeah. Well, we also only have to really shit. He, no, he played a sport. He played a sport, and he was away for a sporting event. And his car was left in the parking lot, and that's poor bastard. Yeah, and they fucking did that. Wasn't his sunroof open? Fucking vultures, huh? Wasn't that the guy who was like sunroof was open? I don't even know if they did that, or if they just let it all ferment in there. But they did. They like they completely like ruined his car. Funniest, funny, funny thing about it was is like I was on the team with him, so like. We had played a game and then, like, heard about what had happened. So, like, they did it. And then, like, and then they had to, like, find out that he knew what was happening and what had happened and that we were going to come back to it and stuff. And they're all like, this is all happened on school property and stuff. I don't know where they got the toilet from. (laughs) Uh, But I do think that they tried to go back and get the toilet out of his car. I think that's what they did. But the funniest thing was is, uh, is like a little bit late, uh, like a maybe a week or two later or something oh, like that. Did they win the game or did they lose like the game that? I'm pretty sure we won. Well, at least we you won. won the game. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. Um, we didn't game. lose. Come back to your car. Shit. We didn't lose many games until uh, your glass half full. Until kind of district. <laughs> yeah. We didn't lose many games. You gotta until have district something, man. Your car is full of shit and piss. Um. But, <laughs> but uh, like a week or two later, we're at practice, and that and the kid who all this had happened to, he said that he was in class, and uh, one of his teachers had like called him out. It was just like, "Hey, wh- where's your book? Like you ain't even got your book open or anything. Yeah, it's like you ain't even got your book open or anything. Like what the like? Where's your backpack? Where's your stuff? And he's just like. You ain't gonna believe me if I tell. <laughs> if I tell you, it's like, what do you mean? Like, where's your stuff? He's like, got pooped on. She's <laughs> like, what? She's like, my backpack got pooped in. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, all my stuff's ruined. Like, she's got poop all over. Yeah, she's like, for some reason, this teacher apparently didn't hear what happened or something. Like, it just didn't pay attention or whatever. But yeah, he just had to say it in front of the. He's like, I'm sitting there in front of the whole class, and I was like, I just had to tell this woman, like, where's your book? It's got poop on it. <laughs> Uh, it's got pooped on. Poopy all over it. Yo. Yeah. It was that terrible thing. So I don't even. Dude, I'd be so fucking pissed off if someone did that to me. Yeah. And I can't even remember, like, anything. If, like, I don't know if they had to pay for the car. I don't know if they, like, I don't know. 
anything about that. I can't remember that shit. Yeah, but you it was like your insurance and be yeah. like, hey, my car's filled with a brim with this and shit. Yeah, it was a pretty it was a rough ride home. We are we were fucking riding the bus ride, like coming back home and he like found out about it. Oh wait, you didn't take it's the car? Just like, Huh? No, 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 he's talking about the bus ride home to the like. Like we had, like home. we left school for a sporting event, so his car was left in the school parking lot. Oh. We were playing, a, we were out doing the fucking oh, game yeah. somewhere on our way back. Like he, it, like while we were away, he found out about it. People told him what happened. Like, and yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, bud. If you ever. You ever fucking listen to this podcast and you fucking hear that I told that story? I apologize, but I told the funny part about it because that was hilarious. Tell your teacher like you get the old uh, dog ate my homework. The old, <laughs> the old, old prankster <laughs> shit in my <laughs> car. <laughs> oh, prankster shit in my backpack. In between the pages, you know, just, just foul, bro. Just foul. There's another one too. There's these kids that we met through like when we were doing like music and touring. Uh, these kids, they were like they was doing they were doing renovations to the second level of their high school, it was like two story level high school or whatever. And up in that area was like the uh, the science room, and everybody knows like the science rooms had like those fucking desks in the back with the sinks and all that shit in them they were like refitting everything and redoing all this stuff so these so it was like abandoned they weren't even using them so these kids like snuck up there and for their senior prank they fucking clogged all the fucking drains and then turned all the fucking water on and just fucking left <laughs> like for like yeah just like left for the weekend and for like it just left flooded absolutely flooded everything and like eventually parts of the roof were like coming through from the fucking second floor to the first floor so like they ru- your, yeah dude they so like property damage ruined the fucking property like felony level property damage yeah legit yeah they said they fucking flooded the whole fucking Thank upstairs you. it fucking <laughs> ruined shit there was another kid from there who said that he uh somehow he got to the roof of his and he started lighting off fucking fireworks on top of the fucking high school <laughs> and the cops had to like come and get him off or something like that is there a way up to up to the roof like sure, there's always a way up to the roof somewhere yeah have you been up there hmm you've been up no, there but i've seen people on it of ours i haven't I remember being in class and like seeing people walk on it, like people like workmen, like doing. Yeah, yeah, not students, like dudes who would have to. Yeah, like HVAC workers. Yeah. People fixing the fucking air conditioning or the fucking whatever the vents. (coughs) I missed high school. It was always college. No. What? What? I missed high school. It was all it. But you know, there's always college. You know. I thought you said it was always I cl- said that college. Too fast, you know, I say, you know, I have speech impediment. Leave me alone. That's fine. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Like what? He's coming after you. Shots fired across the board. Bow. You just come on. You just like waltz into our show and come start fucking <laughs> coming to my house and start fucking. Getting Smoke all hostile. Yeah, yeah. I give you a bucket. I give you nice. I give you a nice couch to sit on. I didn't make you sit on the floor. 
The girl threw my hot dog away for me. That was nice of her. That was nice of her. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is how you treat me? <laughs> you get all hostile and shit. I just got out of work. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> He's heated. <sighs> You're lucky. You want to talk about uh, Nebraska lawmakers and furries? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we always do this. We like say the the news article and then completely go off topic for ten minutes. Who brings up stories? <laughs> yeah, I brought up a school. So we talked about school stories. <clears throat> so Nebraska state law- lawmaker apologized after he publicly cited a persistent but debunked rumor alleging that schools are placing litter boxes in school bathrooms to accommodate children who self-identify as cats. State Senator Bruce Bostelman, a conservative Republican, repeated the false claim during a public televised debate on a bill intended to help school children who have behavioral problems. His comments quickly went viral, with one tweet, with one Twitter video garnering more than 300,000 views as of Monday afternoon, and this drew an onslaught of online criticism and ridicule. He initially said he was shocked when he heard stories that children were dressing as cats and dogs while at school, with claims that schools were accommodating them with litter boxes, which is, like, ridiculous. Like, you can't even wear a hat to school. You're going to let you wear a fucking, like, a tail and ears? I don't see why not. <laughs> I don't see why not. Like that one Mario fursuit thing. Mario dresses up as a cat that one game. I, I, that's what I picture when you say furry. <laughs> Just Mario? Yeah, Mario 3, 3D world when he becomes a cat. This is one power up. That is a furry in my eyes. So you say there's a whole skull of them, that's all I see. And Mario just shitting in a litter box. <laughs> <laughs> what about the frog? Like, is there like... Puzzle that no, I never. I don't. I don't play fucking Nintendo games. What Mario goes in, like he has a frog costume. Show, yeah. <laughs> he said that like Is you're he? prejudiced or something. Does he have a frog? Yes, oh, he no, swims. Oh yeah. You don't like Nintendo games? Now he's he's appealing to the amphibian furries. <laughs> no, I don't like furries. I'm making a stance right now. I didn't say furries. I said Nintendo games. I'm making I'm making a stance right now. I don't like Nintendo games. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I do like Pokemon though. <laughs> Why? You're a man of contradictions, huh? I am. I am a walking paradox. I'm sorry. Why? I'm not a fan of Zelda. Don't make me get into Zelda. I don't know. I don't like the generational thing. The, like what? A, a what a generational thing? What generational it's like incarnation. thing? Incarnation. That's how I always looked at the Zelda games. It's what? just an incarnation. Like he's just different reincarnations of himself, different timelines. I don't. I think it's just he's older and he's different universes. I don't think it was like meant to be like a connection between all of them. Try to fuck like I mean, yeah, game theory could, if you want to. You can have your head kit, head kit, and be whatever you want it to be. What? No. Next news story. Oh, we still got some more of this one. Uh, Boston said like during his live like televised like debate, like, this is on TV. Anyone could have watched it. He said they meow and they bark and they interact with their teachers in this fashion. And now schools are wanting to put litter boxes in schools for these children to use. How is that sanitary? The rumor has persisted in a private Facebook group, Protect Nebraska Children, and also surfaced last month in an Iowa school district, forcing the superintendent to write to parents that said it was simply and emphatically not true. He said that... uh, the senator said that he uh, planned to discuss the issue with the CEO of Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services, and he also alleged that schools were not allowing kids to wear flags, but didn't give specific exemptions. This guy's basically just like, he's just saying whatever, like, people want to hear, basically. Like, 
Did you see the whole thing about how, like, Florida had that don't say gay bill or whatever? I think I did see something about that. Well, it's basically, like, they don't, like, like the whole point of the bill was, like, so, like, they don't want, like, LGBT, like, anything being brought up in, like, classrooms at all. And then, but the way they've worded the bill just makes it seem like they don't talk about gender, like, any gender at all. But, like, when it's basically just, like, veiled, like, bigotry, like, against, like, LGBT and, like, transgender people. So now, like, what a lot of teachers are doing, they're just saying that they're just going to take out, like, any reference to gender at all. Like, they're not even going to call, like, students, like, he or she, like, any student, like, he or she. They're not going to, like, refer to other teachers like that. They're going to refer to, like, <coughs> their, like, like husbands or wives as, like, just their partners and stuff like that. And they're going to stop using, like, Mr. and Mrs. They're going to start using, like, Mix or whatever, like, the MX one. Like, it's basically just like, well, if you guys want to do this, we're going to go all the way with it and we're going to do this. <laughs> and now, like, the same people that wrote the bill are upset that they got, that they got their intended, like, their intended outcome. Hmm. <laughs> it's just wild. I'm just an organism. <laughs> As though I know at this point. Um, the senator later like apologized like in saying that it's not true. And he, but he said if it's this, if this really was something that was happening, we would need to address it quickly. <laughs> Who's putting the litter boxes? I've never seen litter boxes in the high schools. You had to go to the secret furry bathroom. <laughs> you can only get in if your hands are paw print. I like to think we can have these kind of things built into schools these days, but it would be like a safe zone. <laughs> a furry safe zone? Yeah, they go in as like, like scratch posts and shit. I'm worried like about giant you. water bottles on the sides for like hamsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a little wheel and everything for them. No. <laughs> Alright, time for gym class. Everyone's just running on the wheels. Worried about you. It's terrible. Would you date someone if they had like a puppy kink or like a kitten kink? The fuck is a kitten? What? Well, like they like their whole thing is like they like to pretend to be the animal. We were watching that one thing where like oh that guy God. was like, "I know how to save our marriage. You could just be a dog too." Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, oh you mean like that? Like that bad? Like that's so, like walking oh and shit. My. Like 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 Yo. you got like cheats out of a bowl. You got to take her on walkies. You got like, scratches. You don't got to pick up her shit. That's she. You take care of that. Okay, you got me sold on it. <laughs> She wants you to like play tug of war with her. And stuff. Yeah, this dude's wife was just like. You don't really need dignity. Fed up with it. Relationship. <laughs> that's, that shit's going out the window real quick. Yeah, she's just fed up with it, and then he was just like. <laughs> I know how to save our marriage. Yeah, he could like, just be a dog too. <laughs> she was just like, this shit's got to stop. Like he's got two kids, and then yeah. dad's just on the floor, just eating out of a fucking bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bring your kids up to that. All right, puppies. Yeah, man. All right, puppies. How, like, so, when your kids are, like, 10 and 11, how are you going to look at them and be like, go to your room, you're grounded. Screw you, Dad, you're a dog. Don't get <laughs> on the floor. I go listen to the dog? Yeah, you just take a bone, you throw it out into the yard, and he runs away after it. <laughs> it was just funny. She was just so fed up with it, like, yo, this has got to stop. And then he's like... I got it. <laughs> this will save our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> he says that too. I, this will save our marriage. 
It's like I get it. Like, oh, you just gotta, you just gotta come with me to so my f- side and be a dog too. So fucking sure of it. <laughs> yeah. She's like, excuse fucking me. They were interviewing them, and he was like sitting on the floor. She was sitting on the couch, and he was like, like next to her leg, like rubbing up against yeah. her leg. Yeah, like rubbing her. Fucking. He, she's like scratching his ears. It's like, yeah, I'm about to grab my kids and fucking leave this fucking dude. You ready for the next story? Yes, sir. Kind of a doozy. Fresno police sergeant arrested after crashing his patrol car while high on meth he stole from a suspect. boy. <laughs> Seems like a pretty st- straightforward day. <laughs> pretty much. A sergeant who worked for the Fresno Police Department for nearly 20 years has been arrested in suspicion of DUI, drug possession, and robbery. He was arrested after he was involved in a crash in his police cruiser, and a drug test found him positive for fentanyl. Damn. Uh, he acquired methamphetamine laced with fentanyl by taking it from a woman in a suspected robbery earlier in the day of his crash on December 30th. He faces charges for DUI, drug possession, and robbery. His bail and arrest was was uh, $31,000. Uh, the DA said he remains on paid administrative leave since January 11th. And this came out uh, March 2nd. So he was on vacation since January 11th to March 2nd for crashing his patrol car high on that. Wild. Must be nice, you know? Uh, he had turned himself in on the Tuesday afternoon after his warrant for his arrest was placed. And then he immediately just paid his bond and left. <laughs> and then the DA said, as of today, he is employed. There is a protocol for process for termination, which we intend to follow. And that he said that on March 2nd. And I don't know if he's been fired or not yet, but... Hopefully. He's probably just getting off work right now, going home. <laughs> well, probably. <laughs> going home, beating his wife, you know, the usual. Uh, an administration investigation related to his employment is ongoing, and he said that, and then the DA said they wouldn't, like, discuss anything further. This meth is fucking awesome! <laughs> Who drives so fast? <laughs> a witness reported a patrol car about 4.30 on December 30th, driving erratically on Riverside Drive, south of the marketplace of El Paso, uh, in Highway 99. It says cruiser knocked over a tree and struck a curb in an empty parking lot. You have to hit something really hard to just casually knock over a tree. <laughs> uh, it depends on the tree. Yeah, That's true. It said police initially responded to the incident thinking he was having a heart attack or other medical episode. And after attending to him, police said they believed he'd accidentally been exposed to fentanyl. Which is almost impossible, by the way. Like, if you see, like, if there's, like, powdered fentanyl, it's almost impossible to absorb it, like, through your skin or, like, even, like, inhale, like, like, dust in the air of it. Uh. It's almost impossible to, like, even get, like, a dose of it like that. That's, like, a common thing that, like, they tell police and, like, police are, like, super afraid of that, like, even just, like, touching it can, like, kill you, which is absolutely not true. Yeah. But injecting it between my toes is bad? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, please do inject you are it. Gonna, let me tell you, you. You will die. <laughs> fentanyl is like one of those ones, like literally a microscopic for maybe not microscopic, but like literally, like probably like that much yeah, tiny, can kill tiny, you. Tiny amount. A very tiny amount. It has the po- probability. And of it's because these fucking kids are here, like ripping out those, like ripping apart the fucking patches and just like smoking all of it. When that mm-hmm. patch is meant to be worn for like thirty days or some shit, and that's what's fucking killing them. Uh, the officers administered Narcan, 
uh, which is a life-saving drug people like use on people during an overdose. And the sergeant eventually did recover. Uh, they didn't know if he either used like force or fear to take the drugs from the woman, but they know like he definitely got them from an arrest earlier in the day, and that his uh, he did. There was no like a report that he made about like the stop earlier, and his body cam footage didn't show anything. And they were like, "That's what this DA was like." That's what made me first suspicious that there should have been, like obviously. <laughs> That's a fact that he ran to a tree. Well, I mean, like, yeah, but, like, then earlier in the day, like, he turned off his body cam to steal drugs from a robbery suspect. <laughs> like. And then he got, like, a two-month vacation paid. Might as well. For doing it. <laughs> for doing it. Yeah, that's what happened. I know. <laughs> it's just funny when you say it. It's wild. It's wild the country we live in, huh? All right, take a break, champ. <laughs> you do good. <laughs> Smack him on the ass on the way out of the police locker room. <laughs> we'll take take over from here. Work on the execution next time, bud. Yeah, don't get caught next time. Basically, wait till you get home to take the meth, buddy. System at its finest. This next one, like I think, is wild. A dentist broke his patient's teeth to make millions installing crowns. <laughs> Puts him to sleep with laughing gas, takes a hammer, and just fucking <laughs> breaks their jaw. All right, well, you're gonna have to come back in six months. <laughs> so, uh, a dentist in Wisconsin has been found guilty of deliberately breaking his patient's teeth with a drill so he could collect millions of dollars to repair the damage. What the, the fuck? <laughs> It's fucked up. <laughs> it is. It's so fucked up. You imagine a dude just drilling into your teeth? It's fucking awful. I'm so like confused how this works. Oh, we'll get there. The alleged scheme by licensed Grafton dentist Scott Charmoli, 61, appears to have begun in 2015 when the number of crowns he installed abruptly increased. In 2015, he installed 1,036 crowns. Well, over 434 crowns he did in the year prior. So that's almost like 600 more yeah. he was doing. It yeah, he like doubled. Oh, he over doubled. Yeah. He like t- like doubled and then another half. Uh, amid the royal boom, his increase he, his income increased by more than a million dollars, going from 1.4 million in 2014 to 2.5 million in 2015. Damn. From 2016 to 2019... He billed insurers and patients over $4.2 million for crown procedures, according to federal prosecutors. In each of those years, he ranked at or above the 95th percentile for the number of crowns sold by dentists in the state. An executive from a dental insurance company testified during his four-day trial that Wisconsin dentists installed on average fewer than six crowns per 100 patients in 2019. Yet court documents show that in 2019, he installed 881 crowns for his 1,131 patients at a rate of about 78 crowns per patient. So from 6 to 78 per 100. That's like a... Just imagine like a nice size hammer on like his little tool desk. That's me. Like he's doing this multiple times a day. To do oh, that. yeah. <laughs> uh, like he didn't have enough money? No. He wanted more. I think he's like, well, I'm getting to the end of my career. Fucking, I'm just going to bankroll some for my retirement. So weird. You brush your teeth like three times a day. You got amazing teeth. Don't matter. (laughs) Busting them in. Gotta get my due. So this is is how he did it. He would take an x-ray or photograph of the patient's pearly whites, 
point out a faint line or spot on a healthy tooth, and then tell the patient that fleck indicated decay or a fracture that needed to be repaired with a crown, which is like a dental cap that goes over the tooth. And once the patient agreed to the procedure, he would go to work with his drill to actually damage the healthy tooth, sometimes breaking off a piece, often a cusp. So it's like, your teeth are fine, your teeth feel fine, like they don't hurt. And he's like, that bear's not good. <laughs> and he just fucking starts <laughs> drilling into you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta get rid of that. Um, then he would stop and take another x-ray or photograph of the damage, which he would submit for insurance coverage to justify the crown. Then he would install the crown. As you see here, you're missing about <laughs> 25 teeth all of a sudden. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to install a bunch of crowns now, buddy. The way he got caught was that he had a new dental assistant, and the guy thought it was weird that he would like take an x-ray do a little bit of the procedure and then take another x-ray and, <laughs> <laughs> and then like actually fix the thing and the jury found him guilty of five counts of healthcare fraud and two counts of making false statements related to healthcare matters and he now faces a maximum of 10 years in prison for each count uh, and his sentencing is scheduled for June 17th and also nearly 100 former patients are suing him which racefully so can I sue him? None of them are going to see their money. Oh, probably not, but I mean, you might as well try. Like, your teeth could be fucked up. Like, because you had a healthy tooth. Like, your tooth was fine, and he fucked it up just to fix it. Jesus Christ. I'll never trust another dentist. He did fix it, though. I mean, he did (laughs) fix it to to the tune of $4.6 million. The last time I was at the dentist, the girl who cleaned my teeth plopped a tit right on my head. Okay, that's the best part of it, going to the dentist. Just <laughs> put your mouth on it? No, I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, excuse me? Like, Damn, your titty is in my face. Snake up. Sound. <laughs> <laughs> he had a good crown filled then. <laughs> Broke <his> <laughs> Shouldn't have said anything, bitch. <laughs> Fucking got sandbagged. <laughs> So, uh, New York mob hitman Dominic Tadio, set to be released next year, escapes federal custody. He's on the loose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Dominic Tadio, a Rochester, New York mobster who fatally shot three people and attempted to kill two others, escaped federal custody less than a year before he was set to be released. He's 60, he was 64, and he was transferred in February from a medium security prison in Florida to a halfway house in Orlando according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Uh, he was scheduled to be there until his release in February of 2023. And on March 28th, he failed to return from an authorized appointment and was replaced on escape status. <laughs> Which is, like, kind of wild, like... Y'all just missed him, like, y'all just... Well, he gone! <laughs> he come back! <laughs> okay, uh... Like, what? Uh, he was nearing the end of several prison sentences for a string of convictions, including illegal weapons possessions and racketeering, and conspiracy in connection to the killings and attempted homicides. Uh, he pled guilty in January of 1992 to the shooting deaths of three people in 1982, and uh, the shooting deaths of three people in 1982 and 1983, and for also twice attempting to fatally shoot a mob leader and plotting to kill to plotting to kill another mob figure. Uh, he admitted in court that the crime organization known as La Cosa Nostra that existed in Rochester had paid him to kill certain people. Hmm. 
1992, he was sentenced to 24 years in prison, which he was to serve consecutively to the 30 years he was already serving for drug conspiracy, bail jumping, and illegal weapons possession. And apparently, he has been on the run before. In 1987, facing federal weapons charges, he disappeared while out on bail and was found two years later after a national manhunt. Goddamn. I just mean, like, you did all that time, and then it's like, you just gotta wait, like, another year. Just, just fucking wait. Like, you already spent 50 fucking years, you know what I mean? Like, just fucking wait out that last one, <laughs> and now you can fucking go back in. Like, when they catch you, you're going back in. If they catch him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's and I guess a- if he was gonna run away and go kill yourself somewhere, like, I guess. He's got a plan. <laughs> well, now he's old. He's, like, 60-something. Hey, whatever. He could be spry. <laughs> He's been keeping fit in jail. Yeah. They do. Some of them. I like this last news story we got. Venice tourists give the water pistols to fire at aggressive seagulls. (laughs) 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 Tourists in the Italian city of Venice have an issue with water pistols to fend off violent seagulls. The large birds which congregate around the popular tourist hotspot of St. Mark's Square and across the city's many ornate balconies have been giving hoteliers a headache for years. Eric Mazuko, a manager of the Monaco and Grand Canal Hotel, told the Times, a, gloof, a gull flew off with an entire steak just as the waiter lifted the lid on the plate he was serving it on. Oof, that would be fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the predatory birds have also been known to snatch ice creams, croissants, and sandwiches out of tourists' hands, as well as smashing glasses and plates. After years of trying to deter the birds to no avail, the Venice Hoteliers Association decided that a new strategy was needed. So they decided to go with the water guns. And the orange guns are favored as bird experts have told the association that this bright color is particularly repugnant to gulls and more likely to deter them. <laughs> the director of the Gritty Hotel said that you don't even need to use them. You just keep them on the table and they stay away. <laughs> see, it's put, a, put a little like orange gun on the table. You just see them flying around. Oh, I know when to go. pull it out and you just put it on the table and like, slide <laughs> it out. Well, I know when I'm beat. I'll fly <laughs> off now. Apparently, the association has employed falcons, a fake owl, and is even considering acoustic deterrents and nasty smells to combat the birds. Nasty smells. Well, yeah, they used to work with falconers, but calling them out every day proved to be too costly for them. So you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden a falcon swoops down and takes out a gull. (laughs) What they do is they they took somebody's card nearby, and they pooped all and pissed and shit in it. And then he had to go to his gold teacher and be like, "How you tracked it? My back, my backpack's got pooped. Someone pooped in my backpack. (laughs) (laughs) Who pooped in your backpack? A bunch of seagulls. I don't know. There's shit in here. (coughs) There's Dookie in my bag. Man, that would be awful. Just go out to your car. Would you rather have human shit covering it or pigeon shit? Or see, well, what seagull shit? Neither. Like? Probably the bird shit. If I can, I have neither. It's like white and stains. Yeah, yeah I guess but you're like you're just. It's just like. I think it's just better than poop because like human poop. <laughs> it's like they deliberately did that. That shit and, stinks. Or and like, I don't know. I just feel like there's just something about it that's just like, I don't want to deal with human shit. Animal shit is like, yeah, okay. It sucks, <laughs> but. This wasn't in some other. We gotta get it out of here. You know? <laughs> this was much other- smaller. 
Because you know those are turds of malice. <laughs> <laughs> Human turds of malice. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't do it, like, because they're friends with them. <laughs> well, yeah, we need... <laughs> These are sheer fucking logs. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fucking hell, bud. <laughs> You're just dropping fat dukesies there. <laughs> Just out for a rip. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to get on to talking about the Shackleton expedition? Yeah, let's talk about the Shackleton. <coughs> well, that was that's the last name of like the guy who was leading the expedition. Yeah. Uh, the Imperial Trans Antarctic Expedition of 1914 to 1917, mm. as it's called is considered to be the last major expedition of the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. Bet that wasn't a fun three years. No, it doesn't sound fun. Convinced by Sir Ernest Shackleton, the expedition was attempted to make the first land crossing of the Antarctic continent. After Ronald Amunderson's South Pole expedition in 1911, this crossing remained, in Shackleton's words, the one great main object of Antarctic journeyings. Shackleton's expedition failed to accomplish this objective, but became recognized instead as an epic feat of endurance. Shackleton had served in, in the Antarctic on the Discovery Expedition of 1901 to 1904, and had led the Nimrod Expedition of 1907 to 1909. In this new venture, he proposed to sail to the Weddell Sea and land a shore party near Vessel Bay in preparation for a transcontinental march via the South Pole to the Ross Sea. A supporting group, the Ross Sea Party, would meanwhile establish a camp in McMurdo Sound, and from there lay a series of depots across the Ross Ice Shelf to the foot of the Beardmore Glacier. These dope depots would be expensive, essential for the Transcontinental Party's survival, as the group would not be able to carry enough provisions for the entire crossing. The expedition required two ships, Endurance under Shackleton for the Weddell sea, and for the Weddell Sea Party, the, the Aurora, under Aeneas McIntosh. Shackleton called his new expedition the Imperial Trans-Arctic Expedition because he felt that not only the people of these islands, but our kinsmen in all the lands under the Union Jack would be willing to assist towards the carrying out of the program of exploration. To arouse the interest of the general public, he issued a detailed program early in 1914. The expedition was to consist of two parties and two ships. The Weddell Sea Party would travel aboard Endurance to continue to the Vessel Bay area, where 14 men would land, of whom six, under Shackleton, would form the Transcontinental Party. This group was 69 dogs, two motor sledges, and equipment, quote, embodying everything that the experience of the leader and his expert advisors can suggest, would undertake the 1,800-mile journey to the Ross Sea. Hell yeah. (laughs) The remaining eight shore party members would carry out scientific work. They're going to Graham Land, 3-2 Enderby Land, and the remaining at base camp, and the two remaining at base camp. The Ross Sea Party would set up its base in McMurdo Sound on the opposite side of the continent. After landing, they would lay depots on the route of the Transcontinental Party as far as Beardmore Glacier, hopefully meeting that party there and assisting at home. They would also make geological and other observations. Shackleton estimated that he would need 50,000 euros to carry out the simplest version of his plan, which in today's money is nearly 5 million euros. Jesus. And get loans out in 1900s? 1918? 
Well, uh, what he did was he was just going around to, like, basically just wealthy people. And it was like, hey, you like science and you like exploration, right? You want your name behind this? And, like, that's basically, like, what he did. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like, governments were, like, like England's first started. They were like, well, if you can raise 10,000 pounds, we'll match it. And, uh, like, well, he... What would they trying to get out of this just besides just trying to cover more land? Well, yeah, basically, like, it was just to, like, explore it just to see, like, what's there, kind of. Like, maybe, maybe you find something. Like, it, it, it took him, like, three or four years to get the funding to do it. Like, him just traveling around, like, talking to different people, just trying to get funding. Goddamn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing with Christopher Columbus. Like, Christopher Columbus was shocked around to all these different, like, rulers before it was finally uh, Spain that was like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, according to legend, Shackleton posted an advertisement in a London paper stating... Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, <coughs> long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Searches for the original advertisement had pr- have proved unsuccessful, and the story is generally regarded as apocryphal. You call that an advertisement? <laughs> <laughs> he received more than 5,000 applications for, pl- for places on the expedition, including a letter from three sporty girls which was like in quotes like his words I'm assuming mm. who suggested that if their feminine garb was inconvenient they would just they would just love to don masculine attire <laughs> they wanted to go uh, but eventually the crews of the two arms of the expedition were trimmed down to 28 apiece so there was 28 men on the endurance uh, the endurance his ship Without Shackleton, who was detained in England by expedition business, left Plymouth on 8th of August, 1914, heading for Buenos Aires. Here, Shackleton, who had traveled on a faster ship, rejoined the expedition. And on the 26th of October, the ship sailed for the South Atlantic, arriving in South Georgia on 5th of November. Shackleton's original intention was the crossing would take place in the first season of 1914 to 1915, although he soon recognized this impract- the impractical- impracticality of this. He neglected to inform Macintosh and the Ross Sea Party of his change of plans. According to the Daily Chronicle correspondent, Ernest Paris, a cable intended for Macintosh was never sent. So they just went along with it, like the other party. Hmm. Uh, after a monk- month-long halt in the Gertrubing whaling station, Endurance departed for the Antarctic on the 5th of December. Two days later, Shackleton was disconcerted to encounter pack ice as far north as 57 degrees and 26 minutes south, forcing the ship to maneuver. During the following days, there was more tussles with pack, which on the 14th of December was thick enough to halt the ship for 24 hours. Three days later, the ship was stopped again. Shackleton commented, I had been prepared for evil conditions in the Weddell Sea, but I'd hoped the pack would be loose. What we were encountering was fairly dense pack of a very obstinate character. Endurance. Hey, you're going through it in the middle of fucking winter. That's what I was thinking. Like, he left, like, in the start of December. Yeah. Like, but also, like, <laughs> like later on in the story, they talk about, like, the snow, like, it's thawing in, like, August. Hmm. So, like, yeah. it's not like it seems like there's really a good time to do it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Endurance's progress was frustratingly slow. Until on 22 of December, leads opened up and the ship was able to continue steadily southward. This continued for the next two weeks, taking the party deep into Weddell Sea. Further delays then slowed progress after the turn of the year before a lengthy run south 
during 7th to the 10th of January 1915, brought them close to the 100-foot ice walls, which guarded the Antarctic coastal region of God's land. 100-foot ice walls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wild. Yes, sir. <laughs> we know those videos where they show, like, and it's, like, the giant, like, glacier and, like, the ice mm-hmm. like, falling out of it. That's what they're talking about. Like, like, the thing that gets me about those is, like, what it looks like underneath them. Yeah. Like, there's so much, like, oh, that shit creeps me the fuck out. Because what's under it? <laughs> Just more ice. What's chilling there waiting for you, Logan? Greenland shorts. I'm hoping Cthulhu. Yeah. I've always wanted to meet him. I'm his biggest fan. You want to find an old one? The yeah. giant Kraken from cool. Aquaman. I didn't watch that. There's that one, like, SCP that's, like, a giant, like, like... Like undersea monster and like the ink it's like puts out like racist people's memories. Really, that's I need to go back to watch the SCP things again. There's just so many like random shit. I love those videos. They're so interesting. Like they're just <laughs> fun to watch and. Yeah, I'll just sit there and like one smoke with one of those just dumb ones. Yeah. Fun. Uh, on the 15th of January, Endurance came abreast a great glacier the edge of which formed a bay which appeared to be a good landing place. However, Shackleton considered it too far north of Vessel Bay for a landing, except under pressure of necessity, a decision he would later regret. On the 17th of January, the ship reached a latitude of 76 degrees and 27 minutes south, where land was faintly discernible. Shackleton named it Caird Coast after his principal backer. Uh, Bad weather forced the ship to shelter in the lee of a stranded iceberg. Ooh. Endurance was now close to Loop Pooled Land, discovered by Flincher in 1912, at the southern end of which lay the destination, Vessel Bay. Next day, the ship was forced forced northwestward for 14 miles, resuming in a generally southward direction before being stopped altogether. The position was 76 degrees, 34 minutes south, 31 degrees, 30 minutes west. After 10 days of inactivity, Endurance's fires were banked to save fuel. Strenuous efforts were made to release her. On 14th of February, Shackleton ordered men onto the ice with ice chisels, uh, prickers, saws, and picks to try to force a passage. But the labor proved futile. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. He's like, all right, boys, get off the boat. Go start digging at that ice out there. Yeah, and at this is like... They're already in a fucking boat that's made to fucking push through the fucking yeah. ice. Like, it has a fucking ram on the front, like, made to break through this already. Like, you think your 28 fucking chisels are going to do anything? <laughs> that's fucking wild, yo. And just, like, what the flyer said or, like, the advertisement. <laughs> Yeah, chance of safe return like like fuck <laughs> we should have listened to the flyer you were right <laughs> uh Shackleton did not at this stage abandon all hope of breaking free but was now contemplating the possibility of having to spend the winter in hospital arms of the pack uh on the 21st of February of 1915 Endurance still held, fa- held fast drifted to her most southerly latitude of 76 degrees 58 minutes south. Thereafter, she began moving with the pack in a northerly direction. On the 24th of February, Shackleton realized that they would be held in the ice throughout the winter in order the ship's routine abandoned. The dogs were taken off board and housed in ice kennels, or dog loose, and Hmm. the ship's interior was converted to a suitable winter quarters for the various groups of men, officers, scientists, engineers, and seamen. Ice kennels, huh? 
Dog glues. Semen. <laughs> you gotta recycle the baby. <laughs> a wireless apparatus was rigged, but the location was too remote to receive or transmit signals. I mean, it is 1915, so... Yeah. <laughs> Shackleton was aware of recent example of Fletcher's ship, Deutschland, which had become icebound in the same vicinity three years earlier. After Fletcher's attempt to establish a land base at Vessel Bay failed, his ship was trapped on 6th of March 1912, about 200 miles off the coast of Cotland. Six months later, at latitude of 60 degrees and 37 minutes, the ships broke free and sailed to South Georgia, apparently none the worse for its ordeal. Shackleton thought a similar experience might allow Endurance to make a second attempt to reach Vestal Bay in the following Arctic Spring. In February and March, so like literally, these people are just sitting there for months, just on the ice, just floating along wherever the ice goes, because they're stuck. Dude. <laughs> yeah. In February and March, the rate of drift was very slow. At the end of March, Shackleton calculated the ship had traveled a mere 95 miles since 19th of January. However, as winter s- yeah, <laughs> Damn, bro. However, as winter set in, the speed of drift increased, and the condition of the surrounding ice changed. On the fourteenth of April, Shackleton recorded the nearby pack piling and rafting against the masses of ice. If the ship was caught in this disturbance, quote, she would be crushed like an eggshell. In May, as the sun set for the winter months, the ship was at seventy-five degrees twenty-three minutes south, forty-two degrees fourteen minutes west, still drifting northward. It would be at least four months before the spring brought the chance of an opening of the ice, and there was no certainty that the Endurance would break free in time to attempt the return to Vassal Bay area. Shackleton now considered the possibility of finding an alternative landing ground on the western shores of the Weddell Sea, if that coast could be reached. In the meantime, he wrote, we must wait. In the dark winter months of May, June, and July... Oh my god! <laughs> So they've been calling the ice since January. In the dark! Yeah! In the dark! These Calder. motherfuckers are probably fighting polar bears and shit! Put their fucking their pants down and Dude! Even seals! Some of them motherfuckers, like, they'll get hostile. There's some Vikings level shit. <laughs> In the dark winter months of May, June, and July, Shackleton was concerned with maintaining fitness, training, and morale. Although the skill for activity was limited. <laughs> Can't imagine morale is fucking... Well, at this point, he's still thinking, like, all right, we're just stuck here for the winter. As soon as this ice loosens up, we're going to get out of here, and we're going to make a landing on the shore. Like, so he's still trying to go through with this. Like, at this point. Uh, Dude, some people are just built different. Although the scope for activity was limited, the dogs were exercised and on occasion raced competitively. Mm. I mean, they got three months. You got to do something. <laughs> Let's fucking race the dogs. Here you go. Uh, men were encouraged to take moonlight walks, and aboard the ship there was attempted theatricals. Special occasions such as Empire Day were duly celebrated. The first signs of ice breaking up occurred on the 22nd of July, and on the 1st of August, in a southern westerly gale with heavy snow, the ice flow began to disintegrate all around the ship. The pressure forcing masses of ice beneath the kennel, I mean the keel, and causing a heavy list to port. The position was perilous. Shackleton wrote, the effects of the pressure around us are awe-inspiring. Mighty blocks of ice rose slowly till they jumped like cherry stones gripped between the thumb and the finger. If the ship was once gripped firmly, her fate would be sealed. The danger passed, and on succeeding weeks were quiet. So, yeah, like, sometimes in, like, like the pack ice and stuff like that, a piece of ice would get, like, forced down underneath the water until at one point it just fucking shoots up, like, into the sky. So there's just literally, like, spears of ice that sometimes just fucking shoot up out of it. 
Whoa. Wild. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. I never knew that. Well, if you know, like, down by, like, the island road there, like, when it, like, that one year, like, I don't know, probably, like, four or five years ago, like, it, like all the ice, like, froze up bad, and it was kind of, like, doing that same thing, like, it was all, like, forcing up and, like, cracking. Hmm. That one island there was, like, completely covered over with ice. Like, you can see it now, like, all the trees there are, like, knocked over and shit, like, stuff's barely starting to grow back. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> are we wild, just sitting on the ice, just... Well, and that was a problem for boats back then, too, because you take one of those ice spheres to the fucking boat, you, like, you're They're done. Yeah. Uh, on the 30th of September, the ship sustained... Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. On the 30th of September, the ship sustained what Shackleton described as the worst squeeze we had experienced. Frank Worsley, second-in-command, described the pressure as, like, being thrown to and fro like a shuttlecock a dozen times. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> like a shuttlecock. On the 24th of October, the starboard side was forced against... And remember, they left, like, port the 2nd of December or something like that. The 5th. Yeah, yeah. of the year before. Jeez. <laughs> and it's October 24th now. The starboard side was forced against a large flow, increasing the pressure until the hull began to bend and splinter, so that water from below the ice began to pour into the ship. When the timbers broke, they made noises, which sailors later described as being similar to the sound of heavy fireworks and the blasting of guns. Yeah, I'd imagine that those planks on fucking boats aren't fucking gonna snap lightly. <laughs> the supplies and three lifeboats were transferred to the ice, where the crew attempted to shore up the ship's hull and pump out the incoming seawater. That's also what I was saying, like, I don't know how much of, like, the ship is, like, intact. Like, I mean, there might be, like, the pieces down there, but I don't know how much, like, together it is, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just what pieces are is are very yeah, well, like, it's like very preserved. Well, like, preserved. Yeah. yeah. However, after a few days on the 27th of October in 1915, and in freezing temperatures below negative 15 degrees, Shackleton gave the order to abandon ship. The position in abandonment was 69 degrees and 5 minutes south to 51 degrees 30 minutes west. The wreckage remained afloat, and over the following weeks, the crew salvaged further supplies and materials, including Hurley's photographs and cameras that had initially been left behind. For around 550 plates, Hurley chose the best 150, the maximum that he could be, that could be carried, and smashed the rest. And that's why they have, like, pictures of, like, the ship, like, caught in the ice. Mm-hmm. They have pictures of, like, the dogs out in the thing, like, the ice flows and stuff. Uh. Dude, fuck that, <laughs> man. With the loss of the endurance, the transcontinental plans were abandoned, and the focus shifted to that of survival. Shackleton's attention now was to march the crew westward to one or other several possible destinations. His first thought was Paulette Island, where he knew there was a hut containing a substantial food depot because he had ordered it 12 years earlier while organizing relief for Otto Nordenskjord's stranded Swedish expedition. Other possibilities were Snow Hill Island, which had been Nordenskjord's winter quarters, which had been believed to contain a stock of emergency supplies, or Robertson Island. Shackleton believed that one of these islands, they would be able to reach and cross Gramland to get to the whaling outpost in Wilhelmina Bay. He calculated that on one day, endurance was abandoned. They were 346 miles from Paulette Island. Worsley calculated distance to Snow Hill Island to be 312 miles, with a further 120 miles to Wilhelmina Bay. He believed the march too risky, that they should wait until the ice carried them to open water, then escape in the boats, but Shackleton overruled him. 
Before the march could be done, Shackleton ordered the weakest animals to be shot, including the carpenter Harry McNash's cat, Mrs. Chippy. Oh, Mrs. Chippy! And a pup which had become a pet of the surgeon Macklin. The company set on the 30th of October 1915, and two of the ship's lifeboat carried on sledges. Problems quickly arose as conditions of the sea ice around them worsened. According to Hurley, the surface became a labyrinth of hummocks and ridges, in which barely a squared yard was smooth. In three days, the party managed to travel barely two miles. <laughs> and they had to go, like, 400 miles almost to get to, like, that one bay. Yeah. Uh, on the 1st of November, Shackleton abandoned the march. They would make camp and await the break of the ice. They gave the name Ocean Camp to the flat and solid-looking flow in which their reported march had ended, and settled down to wait. Parties continued to revisit the Endurance wreck, which was still drifting with the ice a short distance from the camp. More of the abandoned supplies were retrieved, until on the 21st of November, the ship finally slipped beneath the ice. The final resting place of the Endurance remained in history for nearly 107 years, until the wreckage was discovered on the 5th of March of 2022. Bam! <laughs> uh... The ice was not drifting fast enough to be noticeable, although by late November, the speed was up to 7 miles a day. By the 5th of December, they had passed 68 degrees south, but the direction was turning slightly east of north. This was taking the transcontinental party to a position from which it would be difficult to reach Snow Hill Island, although Paulette Island further north remained a possibility. Paulette Island was about 250 miles away, and Shackleton was anxious to reduce the length of the lifeboat journey that would be necessary to reach it. Therefore, on the 23rd of December, he announced a second march to begin on the 23rd of December. Conditions, however, had not improved since the earlier attempt. Temperatures had risen, and it was uncomfortably warm, with men sinking to their knees in soft snow as they struggled to haul the boats to the pressure ridges. Could you imagine that? Like, you're on an ice sheet above the ocean, and there's snow on top of that. <laughs> and that snow's melting. <laughs> That's not a, It's worrisome, to say the least. <laughs> uh, as they struggled to haul the boats to the pressure ridges on the 27th of December McNash rebelled and refused to work arguing that Admiralty law had lapsed since endurance is sinking and that he was no longer under orders Shackleton's firm resistance finally brought the carpenter here but the in- incident would never forgotten and like later after like people like they survived and got back uh, he was one of the few people to not like get the polar award they all got because, like, specifically, like, he brought up this region. Like, Shackleton brought up this region. He was like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, fuck you, buddy. Two days later, with only seven and a half miles progress achieved in seven back-breaking days, Shackleton... It's <laughs> <laughs> awful, right? You're trudging the snow for seven days. the way you worded it. <laughs> seven back-breaking days. Shackleton called a halt, observing it would take us over 300 days to reach the land. The crew put up their tents and settled into what Shackleton called Patience Camp, which would be their home for more than three months. Another three months just fucking chilling. What the the fuck, bro? (laughs) These people have been stranded for over a year. Supplies are now running low. Hurley and Macklin were sent back to Ocean Camp to recover food that had been left there to lighten the sledges team's burdens. On the 2nd of February 1916, Shackleton sent a, le- a larger party back to recover the third lifeboat. Food shortages became acute as the weeks passed, and seal meat, which had added variety to their diet, now became a staple as Shackleton attempted to conserve the remaining packaged rations. 
In January, all but two teams of the Dogs, whose overall numbers had been depleted by mishaps and illnesses in the preceding months, were shot on shackled in orders because the Dogs' requirements for seal meat were excessive. The final two teams were shot on the 2nd of April, by which time their meat was a welcome addition to the rations. Meanwhile, the rate of drift became erratic. After being held at around 67 degrees for seven weeks, at the end of January, there was a series of rapid northeastward movements by which 17th of March brought patients camp to the latitude of Paulette Island, but 60 miles to its east. It might have been 600 for all the chance we had of reaching it across the broken ice, Shackleton recorded. The party now had, now had land more or less continuously in sight. The peak of Mount Haddington on James Ross <laughs> Island remained in view as the party slowly drifted by. That would be awful. They were too far north for Snow Hill or Pollard Island to be accessible, and Shackleton's uh, chief hopes were now fixed on the two remaining small islands at the northern extremity of Gramland. There were Clarence Island and Elephant Island, around 100 miles due north of their position, on 25th of March. He then decided Deception Island might be a better target destination that lay far to the west towards the South Sethlin Islands, but Shackleton thought it might be attainable by island hopping. Its advantage was that it was sometimes visited by whalers and might contain provisions, whereas Clarence Island and Elephant Island were desolate and unvisited. To reach any of these destinations would require a perilous journey in the lifeboats once the flow upon which they were drifting finally broke up. The end of Patience Camp was signaled on the evening of 8th of April when the flow suddenly split. The camp now found itself on a smaller triangular raft of ice. A breakup of this would mean disaster. So Shackleton readied the lifeboats with their parties in forced departure, and he had now decided they would try, if possible, to reach the distant Deception Island because a small wooden church had been reportedly erected for the benefit of whalers. This could provide a source of timber that might enable them to cra- construct a seaworthy boat. See, these motherfuckers are thinking they're going to sail their lifeboat to an island, tear down a church, and build a boat to go home. <laughs> Wild. Absolute chat. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That church is going to be a boat. <laughs> How do you fucking know about the boat? You've been in the, you've been in the fucking Arctic for over a year. How are you getting news? Well, no, like, they knew that, like, a church had been built there from, like, before. And so they're like, well, we're going to go turn that church into a boat. Crazy. This guy's fucking resourceful, I'll give him that. They had to be. Uh, at 1pm on the 9th of April, the Dudley Docker was launched, and an hour later all three boats were away. The Dudley Docker. Yeah, that's what one of the lifeboats was called. The boats were surrounded by ice, dependent upon leads of water opening up, and progress was perilous and erratic. Frequently the boats were tied to flows or dragged up onto them, or the men camped and waited for conditions to improve. Shackleton was wavering again between several potential destinations, and on the 12th of April, rejected the various island options and decided on Hope Bay, at the very tip of Grandland. However, conditions in the boat and temperatures sometimes as low as negative 20 degrees with little food and regular soakings in icy seawater were wearing the men down physically and mentally. Shackleton therefore decided that Elephant Island, the nearest of the possible refuges, was now the most practical option. On the 14th of April which is now, like, the second year they've been out here. Uh, the boats lay off southeast coast of Elephant Island, but could not land as the shore consisted of peculiar cliffs and glaciers. The next day, James Curd, another one of the boats, rounded the eastern point of the island to reach the northern lee shore and discovered a narrow shingle beach. Soon afterwards, the three boats, which had been separated during the previous night, were reunited at this landing place. 
It was apparent from high tide markings that this beach would not serve as a long-term camp. So the next day, Wilde and a crew set off in the Stancombe Wills to explore the coast for a safer site. They returned with news of a long spit of land seven miles to the west. With minimum delay, the men returned to the boats and transferred to this new location, which they later christened Cape Wild. So they were on Elephant Island, which was remote, uninhabited, and rarely visited by whalers or any other ships. If the party was to return to civilization, it would be necessary to summon help. The only realistic way this could be done was to adapt one of the lifeboats for an 800-mile voyage across the Southern Ocean to South Georgia. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Wild. Uh, Shackleton had abandoned thoughts of taking the party on the less dangerous journey to Deception Island because of the poor physical condition of many of his party. Port Stanley in the Falcon Islands was close to the Southern Georgia. Close, was closer than Southern Georgia but could not be reached, as this would require sailing against the strong prevailing winds. Shackleton selected the boat party himself, Worsley, Crane, McNash, and sailors John Vincent and Timothy McCarthy. On instructions from Shackleton, McNash immediately set about adopting the James Carey, improving tools and materials. Wilde was to be left in charge of the Elephant Island party, with instructions to make Deception Island for the following spring, should Shackleton not return. Shackleton took supplies for only four weeks, judging that if land had not been reached within that time, the boat would be lost. The 22-and-a-half-foot James Curd was launched on the 24th of April in 1916. So you got to go 800 miles in a 22-and-a-half-foot boat across the open ocean. The, sex, the success of the voyage uh, depended on the pinpoint accuracy of Worsley's navigation, using observations that would have to be made in the most unfavorable conditions. The prevailing wind was helpfully northwest, but the heavy sea conditions quickly soaked everything in icy water. Soon ice settled thickly on the boat, making her ride sluggishly. On the 5th of May, a northwesterly gale almost caused the boat's destruction, as her face was shockingly described as the largest waves he has seen in 26 years at sea. On the 8th of May, southern Georgia was sighted after a 14-day battle with the elements that had driven the boat party to their physical limits. Two days later, after a prolonged struggle with heavy seas and hurricane force winds to the south of the island, the party struggled ashore at King Hocken Bay. What the fuck, dude? The largest wave he's seen in 26 years at sea. And then oh. two weeks of just... Hurricane winds. Yeah, just fucking rowing through it. Well, I mean, he's also in a really dinky aspect. From his perspective, probably looks a lot bigger to him. That's true. And he's been fucking lost at sea for two years now. He's probably, yeah, probably bad shit. <laughs> yeah. The arrival of James Caird at King Honkin Bay was followed by a period of rest and recuperation, where Shackleton pondered the next move. The populated whaling station of South Georgia lay on the northern coast. To reach them would mean either another boat journey around the island or a land crossing through its unexplored interior. The conditions of the James Caird and the physical state of the party, particularly Vincent and McNash, meant the crossing was, only the, re was the only realistic option. After five days, the party took the boat a short distance eastward to the head of a deep bay, which would be the starting point for the crossing. Shackleton, Worsley, and Crane would undertake the land journey, the others remaining at what they christened Pegatry Camp, to be picked up later and helped after help had been obtained from the whaling stations. A storm on the 18th of May delayed their start, but by 2 o'clock the following morning, the weather was clear, calm, and an hour later the crossing party had set out. The party's destination was the whaling station at Stormness, which had been Endurance's last port of call on their outward journey. 
This was roughly 26 miles away across the edge of the Alartic Range. Another whaling station was known to be at Prince Olver Harbor, just six miles north of Pegatree Camp, over easier terrain, but as far as the party was aware, this was the only inhabited during the summer months. So that comes in, like, to what you say. Uh, Shackleton's men did not know, though, during their two-year absence in Antarctica, the station's owners had begun year-round operations. So they thought it was only in the summer months, which mm-hmm. was only six miles away, but they didn't know it was all year round, so they marched 20-some miles away through rougher terrain. Wow. <laughs> Imagine when you found that out. Like, motherfucker. We fought a tsunami and a hurricane. Oh, should have known. We just had to walk over there. Without a map, the route the party chose was largely conjectural. By dawn, they had descended to 3,000 feet and could see the northern coast. They were above Possession Bay, which meant they would need to move eastward to reach Stormness. This meant the first of several backtrackings that would extend the journey and frustrate the men. At the close of the first day, needing to descend the valley below them before nightfall, they risked everything by sliding down a mountainside on a makeshift rope sledge. <laughs> what the fuck? They traveled without rest on by moonlight, moving upwards towards a gap in the next mountain ridge. Early next morning, the 20th of May, seeing Hobus Harbor below them, the party knew they were in the right path. At 7 o'clock in the morning, they heard a steam whistle sound from Stormness. Quote, the first sound created by an outside human agency that had come to our ears since we left Stormness Bay in December of 1914. After, <laughs> after a difficult descent which involved passage down through a freezing waterfall, that at least they at least they at last reached safety. Shackleton wrote afterwards, I have no doubt that Providence guided us. I know that during that long racking march of thirty six hours over unnamed mountains and glaciers, it seemed to me off more often that we were four, not three. This image of a fourth traveler was echoed in accounts of Worsley and Crane and influenced uh, T.S. Eliot in the writing of the poem The Wasteland. And this ph- phenomenon has been reported by other adventurers and known as the third man factor. Which is like apparently is something like a lot of people that are, like in survival situations like feel like that there's like someone else there like with them, like guiding them kinda. But I guess, like, because of them, like, saying about it, it caused other people to come forth to have, like, traumatic experiences and stuff like that, like, say the same thing. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <coughs> it is. Uh, first task on arriving at the Stormness Station was to arrange for his three companions at Pegasus Camp to be picked up. Aware they were sent around the coast with Worsley aboard to show the way, and by the evening of the 21st of May, all six of the James Care party were safe. It took four attempts before Shackleton was able to return to Elephant Island to rescue the party stranded there. He first left South Georgia a mere three days after being after having arrived in Stormness, after securing the use of a large whaler. The southern sky, which was laid up in Harvest Harbor, Shackleton assembled a volunteer crew, which had ready to sail by the morning of the 22nd of May. As the vessel approached Elephant Island, they saw what was impenetrable barrier of pack ice had formed, some 70 miles from their destination. The southern sky was not built for icebreaking and retreated to Port Stanley in the Falkland Islands. Once reaching Port Stanley, Shackleton informed London by cable of his whereabouts and requested that a suitable vessel be sent south for the rescue operation. He was informed by the Admiralty that nothing was available before October, which in his view was too late. Because also, like, by this time, World War One's going on now. Like, before they left, no World War One, but now World War One's happening. Jesus. 
Then, with the help of the British Prime Minister in Montevideo, Shackleton obtained from the Uruguayan government the loan of a tough trawler, Instituto de Pesca No. 1, which was started south on the 10th of June. Again, the pack thwarted them. In search of another ship, Shackleton, Worsley, and Crane traveled to Punta Arenas, where they met Alan MacDonald, the British owner of the schooner Emma. MacDonald equipped his vessel for a further rescue attempt, which left on July 12th, but with the same negative result, the pack defeated them yet again. Shackleton na- later named a glacier after MacDonald on the burnt ice shelf in the Weddell Sea. After problems arose in identifying the glacier, a nearby icy rise was named the MacDonald Icy Rumples. <laughs> By now, it was mid-August, more than three months since Shackleton had left Elephant Island. Shackleton begged the Chilean government to lend him Yoko, a small steam tug that assisted Emma during the previous attempt. They agreed. On the 25th of August, Yelko, captained by Louis Pardo, set out for Elephant Island. This time, as Shackleton recorded, Providence favored them. The seas were open and the ship was able to approach close to the island in thick fog. At 11.40 a.m. on the 30th of August, the fog lifted and the camp was spotted within an hour. All the Elephant Party were safely aboard and bound for Punta Arenas. And it would be more than 45 years before the first crossing of the Antarctic was achieved, by the Commonwealth Trans-Arctic Expedition of 1955 to 1958. The ex- expedition set out from Vessel Bay, the same bay Shackleton was when in sight of the Endurance became trapped... What, the same bay Shackleton was in sight of when the Endurance became trapped in ice. They followed a route which avoided the Beardmore Glacier altogether and bypassed much of the Ross Ice Shelf, reaching McMurder Sound via a descent of the Skelton Glacier, which in the entire journey only took 98 days. <laughs> Must be nice. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And I guess, like, uh, not too much happened on Elephant Island, but they did have to amputate one guy's leg that was there because he had gotten, like, so frostbitten. Yeah. Call him Stubbs. How many survived? All of them? Yeah, they all survived. Wow. All the the people. Not Mrs. Clippy. Yeah, not Mrs. Clippy. Or the dogs. Or the boat. This implies that at one point there was a Mr. Chippy and he died too. Could you imagine, like, you get safe and you gotta go rescue guys on Elephant Island and it takes you four more attempts to rescue them? Determined. This motherfucker was determined. He's the most resourceful, reliable guy, apparently. I mean, you give him three months to work with (laughs) to lead you to safety. I mean, these motherfuckers, like... Right, they ran boats. Like, they were resourceful men. Like, you know what I mean? They, they knew what they were doing. All right, that church. Yeah, it's a boat now. <laughs> and after this, uh, he tried to do another ex- expedition a couple years later, but unfortunately he died of a heart attack, like, as they were drawing up to it. <laughs> That's what gives you the heart attack? Yeah. Just too much for the little guy? Jesus. Like, they had gone onto a boat, set out to head towards the Antarctic, and he died while they were sailing there. Did you ever want to sail at sea? Yeah, I go. I go on the boat. I don't think I'd want to be like a sailor, it's like a profession, but like I'd go sailing. Yeah, I hate those fucking videos of like boats and storms. It's just like you see them like go up a fucking wave and come down, and it's just like it just looks like it's gonna flip over. Yeah, it just looks like it's gonna fucking tip right the fuck over, and like, yeah, fuck that. I mean, imagine being like a Polynesian in a fucking wooden canoe traveling to like all the different 
islands in like the no. Pacific. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> they're just vibing. Yeah, dude. There's no fucking wooden canoe. Bobbing their fucking no. heads. I think it's been another good episode of Room to Talk. Hell yeah. I'm Bud Walker. Michael I'm Ray Romano. Oh, shoot. That's Baby Dick Cochran. We'll see you next week, kids. Take care. Go to your room. You're grounded. Screw you, Dad. You're a dog.